Lesson 3 for January 9-15, to Global Rebellion and the Patriarchs. Sabbath afternoon, January 9. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're about to open your word again. We're still in the book of Genesis, discovering how your love and compassion is expressed in this beautiful story of creation and the development of family and civilization in the early part of this world's history. And as we do so, we just want to thank you that there are messages there for us today in the 21st century that bring us closer to you. And as we look at how your people walked with you, how the patriarchs learned to trust you and follow you, we pray that that may be our experience too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Let's read that again, Genesis 28 verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. The stories that follow the fall take the themes of deception and broken relationships, first seen in Eden, to a deeper level. During this time, the conflict spreads and diversifies over the globe. In the story of Cain and Abel, worship becomes the catalyst for discord and death, a recurring theme throughout history. The story of the flood reveals how rebellion and sin caused the unravelling of everything that God created. Sin not only distorts creation, it destroys it. Abraham's experience is a major encouragement in the conflict, with God demonstrating his willingness to take the consequences of rebellion upon himself. He would become our substitute. Then, in the stories of Jacob and Esau, and Joseph and his brothers, we see the continuing interplay of fractured relationships being the means that Satan uses to destroy families and people groups. Yet, through it all, the faithfulness of God as he sustains and nurtures his harassed children continues. Sunday, January 10, Cain and Abel. Question. Read Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through to 15. What does this tell us about how deeply ingrained sin had become? Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, "'Why are you angry?' And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. 
and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. At the birth of Cain, Eve was ecstatic. She fully believed that she had just given birth to the deliverer promised in Genesis 3.15. I have acquired a man from the Lord. Genesis 4 verse 1. The text translated literally could read, I have made a man the Lord. At its basic level, it simply reveals that Eve thought she had delivered the one whom the Lord had promised in Genesis 3.15, when he said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Nothing is said of the joy of Cain's boyhood years and the novelty of new parents proudly enjoying the development of their first baby. The narrative jumps quickly to a second birth, and then to the two young men worshipping. However, as we so often see, differences over worship lead to tragedy. Question. Read Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and chapter 4, verse 9. Compare Adam's reaction with Cain's reaction when God questioned them after each one sinned. What is similar? What is different? First of all, Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And Genesis 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Note the differences in Adam's emotions as compared with Cain's. Adam appears confused, frightened and ashamed in verse 10. But Cain is angry in verse 5 of chapter 4, cynical and rebellious in verse 9. Instead of offering a weak excuse as Adam did, Cain tells a blatant untruth. However, out of the despair came a measure of hope and optimism. With the birth of Seth, Eve again thinks she has delivered the promised one in Genesis chapter 4 verse 25. And that reads, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. 
The name Seth is from the word that means to place or to put, the same word used in Genesis 3.15 for a deliverer who would be put in place to challenge the serpent and crush its head. In a further parallel to Genesis 3.15, Eve describes her own new son as the seed to replace Abel. Thus, even amid so much despair and tragedy, and as the great controversy between good and evil continued to spread, people still clung to the hope of redemption. Without it, what do we have? And so to finish today, imagine the woe of Adam and Eve over the death of their son. Which would have been bad enough if not for the fact that another son had killed him? Thus they lost two sons. How can we learn the hard lesson that sin has consequences far beyond the immediate sin itself? And happy anniversary to my wife today. It's our 50th wedding anniversary. Monday, January 11, The Flood Question. Read Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through to 13. In what ways do we see the great controversy between good and evil expressed here, only now even more intensely than before? Let's begin Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years." There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In the flood we see a partial reversal of the special acts of creation. Many of those things that God had separated are now brought back together. The waters above and the waters below, the sea and the dry land, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and all living creatures that moved on the earth all coming together. The earth seems to move back toward being formless and empty as it was described in Genesis 1 verse 2 earlier. Despite this apparent win by the forces of evil, God's creative genius is still at work. 
He initiates a new creation by again separating different elements. First, he separates Noah, a just and blameless man, from the people of the time, whose wickedness is great and whose every thought is evil, corrupt and violent. Verse 5 read, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And verses 11 to 13, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God then tasks Noah with building an enormous boat. He then separates out a small group of people, birds and animals, and puts them in the safety of the boat so that they could survive what is coming. Based on the grace of God, life will go on, and a new world will arise out of the dregs of the old. There is a new creation, but it's hardly a perfect one. Sometime after the flood, as Noah and his family are getting themselves established again, we are reminded of the frailty of human goodness. Noah becomes drunk, and shameful things occur, as we read in Genesis 9, verses 20 to 27. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine, and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backwards, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant." Thus, even one of the heroes of faith, as described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, had his bad moments. The great controversy continues, not only on a massive scale, but also in the hearts of individuals. The Bible describes the flood as blotting out all life. A similar expression is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe the actions of the Redeemer in forgiving our sins, as in Isaiah 25 verse 8, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And Isaiah 43 verse 25 reads, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for mine own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And in Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Either our life is blotted out, or our sins are. How does this stark reality show just how black and white the issues really are? (music) 
Tuesday, January 12, Abraham While Abraham, first called Abram, is known for his faithfulness, his life experiences are more about God's faithfulness to him. Twice God has assured Abraham that he would have a son. He first told him when Abraham was about 75 years old in Genesis 12 and verses 2 to 4, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then, about ten years later, in Genesis 13:16, God told him again, And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Eventually, even after much stumbling on Abraham's part, the child of promise, the child of the covenant, was born and God's faithfulness to his sometimes wavering servant was revealed, as in Genesis 17 and verse 19, Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. And in verse 21, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time, at this set time next year. And in Genesis 21, verses 3 to 5, And Abram called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abram, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was one hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Question. Read Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. What hope is revealed here in regard to the whole great controversy? Genesis 22, beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, 
Do not lay your hand on the lad, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. It was to impress Abraham's mind with the reality of the gospel, as well as to test his faith, that God commanded him to slay his son, Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 154 and 155. The agony which he endured during the dark days of that fearful trial was permitted that he might understand from his own experience something of the greatness of the sacrifice made by the infinite God for man's redemption. No other test could have caused Abraham such torture of soul as did the offering of his son. God gave his son to a death of agony and shame. The angels who witnessed the humiliation and soul anguish of the Son of God were not permitted to interpose, as in the case of Isaac. There was no voice to cry, It is enough. To save the fallen race, the King of glory yielded up his life. What stronger proof can be given of the infinite compassion and love of God. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The sacrifice required of Abraham was not alone for his own good, nor solely for the benefit of succeeding generations, but it was also for the instruction of the sinless intelligences of heaven and of other worlds. The field of the controversy between Christ and Satan the field on which the plan of redemption is wrought out is the lesson book of the universe. Because Abraham had shown a lack of faith in God's promises, Satan had accused him before the angels and before God of having failed to comply with the conditions of the covenant and as unworthy of its blessings. God desired to prove the loyalty of his servant before all heaven to demonstrate that nothing less than perfect obedience can be accepted and to open more fully before them the plan of salvation. End of quote. Wednesday, January 13, Jacob and Esau The struggle between God's purposes and individual rebellion makes further progress in the story of Jacob and Esau. It was customary in antiquity for the firstborn son to receive the father's blessing, the birthright, before the death of the father. 
This included most of the family's wealth. Thus the eldest son became responsible for the family's welfare. Esau hated his brother Jacob after being tricked out of that great honour, and he planned to kill him after his father died, as we read in Genesis 27, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him, and Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Rebekah sent Jacob away for safekeeping, thinking all would be well again after a few days, as you read in verses 43 and 44. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days, until your brother's fury turns away. A few days turned out to be twenty years, and Rebekah never saw Jacob again. Question Read Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 to 15. What great hope was found in Jacob's dream? Genesis 28, beginning at verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. By repeating the promises made to Abraham, God was assuring Jacob that plans were on track. Even though Jacob's actions seemed to ignore God's plan, God was still there for him. However, Jacob had to endure twenty years of being tricked by his father-in-law, first in his marriage, then in his wages, as you read in Genesis chapter 29. And first of all, we'll look at verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. And verse 23. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. And verse 25. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah, And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And then in verse 27, Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. And chapter 31 and verse 7, Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Yet, in a strange twist, all those years serving for his wife seemed like just a few days, the time Rebekah thought Jacob would be away from her. When Jacob decided to go back home, first Laban pursued him as we read in verses 25 and 26 of Genesis 31. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with 
the sword. And then Esau set out with 400 men to meet him. Both of those situations were life-threatening, and God had to step in twice to deliver him. First, in a dream to Laban to tell him not to harm Jacob, in chapter 31 and verse 14. Then in person to wrestle with Jacob and cripple him, in chapter 32, verses 24 to 30. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him, and he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. The sight of Jacob hobbling with a walking stick could have impressed Esau that Jacob posed no threat. The gifts were sent on ahead, and together with the careful way Jacob spoke, it all seemed enough to heal the break between the two brothers. The last we see of them together is when they bury their father. Thus, any previous plan Esau had of killing Jacob after the funeral was now forgotten. And so to finish today, look at all the pain and suffering these foolish choices brought to these people, both to the innocent and to the guilty. How can we learn to think, think and think before we act? Thursday, January 14, Joseph and his brothers. Just as Jacob deserved a lot worse from his brother Esau after the way he treated him, we see something similar in the story of Joseph and his brothers. Here again we see brother hating brother because of one being shown favour over the other, as in Genesis 34. 7 verses 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colours. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. The tunic of many colours was not just made from a striped bedsheet. The original word implies that it was an expensive robe worn by royalty and would have been covered with rich embroidery and colourful needlework, taking up to a year to make. Then, when Joseph told his brothers about his dream in verses 5 to 11, he incited even more hatred and envy against himself. Beginning at verse 5, now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we are, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams 
and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, and told it to his brothers, and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him, and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. So, at the first opportunity, they plotted to get rid of him. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 37, we read, Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. The brothers must have congratulated themselves on how easy it was to remove him from their lives. None, though, had any idea how God would use this situation to save them many years later. Question. Read Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through to 11. What was the bigger picture that Joseph saw? What was his main focus? And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine." Think of what might have gone through Joseph's mind as a boy in chains, walking behind a camel and looking toward the hills of his boyhood home as they disappeared into the distance. Then, being put on the auction block and having inquisitive buyers prodding him and humiliating him in their close inspection before bidding for him. Many have given up their faith for less humiliation and suffering than this. Joseph could have chosen to become bitter and anti-God, but he chose instead to maintain his faith amid this harrowing struggle, the great controversy being played out in his own life in a dramatic way. He soon adjusted to the household of one of the most important military men in the country, and, under the blessing of God, he soon gained his trust, as we read in Genesis 39, verses 1 to 4. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. 
So Joseph found favour in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Eventually, the slave became the leader in Egypt. So to finish the day. Despite the incredible family dysfunction revealed in this story, despite the treachery and evil, it had a happy ending. How, though, do you keep your faith intact and have a gracious attitude when things don't seem to be turning out as well as they did for Joseph? Friday, January 15. No question, as these stories show, life on this earth amid the great controversy doesn't always play out as we might have wanted. For instance, Adam and Eve would not have scripted as they held their newborns in their arms that one would kill the other. Zipporah, when she married Moses, certainly didn't have the future that she envisioned, And do you think Leah's married life was what she, as a very young girl, had dreamed about? And youthful Jeremiah? Whatever his hopes and ambitions, they surely didn't include being railed against, castigated and deemed a traitor by his own nation. And wouldn't David and Bathsheba have preferred a different narrative than the one that ultimately unfolded? No doubt Uriah would have. What about Jesus? Of course, Jesus came to earth to die. That was the whole point. But from his human side, the side born out of the same clay as us, the side that cried out in Gethsemane, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, in Matthew 26.39, getting beaten, scorned, mocked, and crucified at age 33, surely wasn't what anyone would have hoped for. No question, life can and does do us dirty. But it shouldn't be surprising, should it? What do you expect in a fallen, sinful world? Paradise? Eden's long gone, but it will be back, and when it is, the gap between what our lives are now and what they will be like then will be infinitely greater than the gap between what we had hoped for, but got instead. So to finish today, we have four discussion questions. 1. What are the significant differences between the siblings who maintained faith in God and those who did not see the need to? 2. When sibling rivalries and jealousies seem to overpower God's purposes for families today, how is it possible for them to see a positive tomorrow? What can be done for the families of your church to help them see God's bigger purpose for them? 3. What can be done for the people in your congregation who feel that they are alone in the world and that their lives are meaningless and of no value? And four, even if your life isn't turning out as you had hoped, how can the promise of eternal life help keep the disappointment from overwhelming you? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled A Dream Comes True, Part 2 The story thus far 
Samantha is thrilled to be working in the Amazon jungle as a nurse on the Lazero mission boat and in a village clinic, offering the only medical assistant for thousands of people along the river. She often faces medical emergencies where she must depend fully upon God. One evening, a man arrived at the clinic holding his hand in bloodied bandages. "'What happened?' she asked the man. "'I was using a grinder,' he replied, "'when my hand got caught in the blades.' Samantha and her assistant Gloria carefully cleaned the hand, applied antibiotic ointment and rewrapped it tightly in clean bandages. As they prayed with the man, they knew that he needed a higher level of care than they were able to provide and asked God for help. A few minutes later, a mother, father and ten-year-old son showed up in front of the clinic. The boy had been bitten on the foot by a surukuku, a venomous pit viper, one of the most poisonous snakes of the Amazon. How long ago was he bitten? Samantha asked. About five hours ago, came the reply. Samantha was shocked. According to all the medical literature, the boy should have been dead long before now. Quickly, she provided emergency care, doing all she could to stop the spread of the poison. The family had tried to treat the boy themselves, putting coffee on the bite wound and having their son eat the tail of the snake, thinking it would protect him. As he grew weaker, the parents decided to bring him to the clinic. Samantha knew that it was only through a miracle that the boy was alive, and to survive he would continue to need divine help. She also knew that both boy and man needed to be taken to the nearest hospital. An eight-hour trip using a regular boat, or two hours by Adra's fast boat, the Jesse Hallowell. While the fast boat was clearly the best option, it also took the most fuel and would completely deplete the clinic's reserve for the month. The fuel reserve had been saved for emergencies that might arise from a visiting group from the South American Division office who had come to make improvements to the clinic and village. Knowing that two lives were in jeopardy, Herber Calmatamata, the Adred Brazil director for the Amazon region, approached the group explaining the situation. Immediately they told him to use the fuel and they would trust in God for protection. It was dark and rainy by the time Samantha, her two patients, and the boy's mother climbed into the Jesse Hallowell for a fast two-hour ride to the nearest hospital. Pelting down rain mixed with river spay as the little boat and its precious cargo sped down the river. Samantha did her best to care for her charges and continued to pray that God would intervene. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. This must be a three-parter. It's getting so exciting. Let's see what happens next week. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.